This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 275 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. And delusions for the win. Please support our sponsors as they make this awesome show possible. <laughs> our sponsors this week are Sparkle and Boom and Kentucky Performance Products. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own flight swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop I'm Glenda Geek And I'm Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network Well howdy Helena Hi, Glenn. Don't ask me why I'm all like extra excited today. Yeah, why There's are you absolutely extra no excited? Reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have no reason. Were you drinking have, at lunch? Uh, no. Uh, okay, just checking. I have no reason. Are you still hungover from your fantastic weekend in your little black dress? I did not get hungover because I did not get drunk. I don't get drunk. Okay, just checking I, because I, I saw go for pi- the maintenance buzz. <laughs> I saw pictures of you in, uh, in in a little black dress, looking all fancy. Yes, we got fancy. We had the best time at Myopia Hunt Ball. They have it every year around this time, and um, I go just about every year. And I went with my partner in crime, Sister Finn, and uh, our gentleman, and it was great. We had we had some drinks. We had a wonderful meal. We danced a lot. We chatted a lot. It was a really nice time. Well, yeah, the uh, uh, you you both look fantastic, and you know you do the show chasing a fox in a little black dress. Is that why you went both went with little black dresses? Well, um, yes and no. Yes, because we're chasing a fox in a little black dress, and whenever we can wear a little black dress, we do. But the requirement or its tradition at hunt balls for the ladies to wear black or white gowns. Huh? I didn't know that. Yes, yes. I have no idea why where that tradition came from, but. Sissy can probably tell you. Does anybody wear white? Yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There's some really nice white, white, long, formal dresses that don't look like wedding dresses. I don't eat very well. I'd have it all messed up. I'd I never know, wear right? white. That's what I say. <laughs> I, you can't expect me to have dinner. I hope dessert. they didn't serve spaghetti because that'd be awful. Uh. <laughs> no, they did not. There's a, it was a beautiful pork loin. Oh, it was just delicious. They, I'll tell you something. The, uh, the executive chef at Myopia Hunt Club is amazing. Their food has been consistently very, very good. Now, do they uh, they have a little, I guess you'd call it a ballroom there. Do they um, did they deck it out? Is it all uh, you know fancied up? No, it's not fancied up. the The club is very um, humble. It, mm-hmm. It's very elegant in a quiet. It's taste. understated almost. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word. It's very understated. Um, but very elegant, so it really doesn't need much. And they don't exactly have a ballroom. There's the clubhouse that has what they call the terrace, which is sort of a slate uh, three-season room with glass windows all around. And then there's the dining room that's carpeted and just surrounded by beautiful wainscoting and gorgeous paintings. Um, I got to shh, I got to sneak into the men's bar this time. <laughs> um in which hangs a stunning Munnings painting of a gray horse named Captain. I remember that. I remember being in that room. Now, of course, we're talking about Myopia Hunt Club, which is uh, north of Boston in a little town of Hamilton. South Hamilton? South Hamilton, South Massachusetts. Hamilton. Yep. Yeah. Right near Ipswich. Uh, yep, Ipswich, Salem, that whole North Shore area, which has just... It's the most amazing riding territory. You know, down here in Rhode Island, in the, the, what they call the South Coast area, there's lots of farms and rolling hills. And, and there are, the territory is beautiful for riding, but it doesn't have the extensive trail network or hunt routes that the North Shore has, which has been cultivated over years and years of, of people hunting through there. 
Well, the North Shore too. It has a, it has just enough hills. It has a lot of woods. It has swamps. It has a, almost every kind of terrain you you can imagine. It's very diverse, which makes hunting there a lot of fun because you know depending on where each meet is held, you know that's going to be your your riding territory for the day. So it could be very different. Um, but I sometimes I forget just how lucky riders are up there. It's it's a huge playground for equestrians. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It is. And you wouldn't think that. I mean, when you're, uh, because it, it's also, you know, there, there's the, the only part up, the only part of that part of the state that's really open like that uh, and has the room to do it is those protected areas right up there. Well, on the eastern part of Massachusetts, you know, central and western Mass- Massachusetts is very open. Right. Yeah, I meant on the coast um, over there. On the coast. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is even though there's open space in these other areas, you don't necessarily have permission to ride uh-huh. on that open space. It's just like in Lexington, Kentucky. The most beautiful farms in the world, and you can't ride anywhere. You can't ride you're not allowed. <laughs> so there's nowhere so, to trail ride. <laughs> I, I have to say that... Um, Massachusetts and north of Boston in particular has done a really good job of balancing open space with passive recreational use um, in a very, you know, it, it gets downright suburban. I mean, when I first moved to Hamilton, it was more sub than urban. Um, and now that the commuter rail has gone through, there's a lot more, um, well, the population has gone up. So it feels, it definitely feels suburban now. But, you know, there are, we meet at places that are tucked away on these private properties that feel very rural. Yeah, I mean, they really do. They do yeah. feel like you're kind of at the end of the earth um, with the terrain and everything. Really cool. So it was fun. It was a, it was, well, good. Um, it was great, and I'm totally inspired to get Brody out there in the spring. Like, totally inspired. Cannot wait. Right, Cannot that boy wait hunting. to come back with hunting stories. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> Well, we have a good show planned for you today. Uh, later on in the day, Helena went to a little seminar she's going to tell us all about uh, with a very important person. So we're going to talk about that later on in the show, as well as we have Kat from Eat Your Tart out here talking Thanksgiving. She has a couple of recipes for the horse person on Thanksgiving that you can make pretty easily. We have Shelly Vandenest of Sunrise Farms Sport Horses here in Florida. She just won a couple world championships with her Andalusians, and who, who doesn't want to talk about Andalusians? And then uh, we, you have a uh, product coming up that you found while you were over at Equine Affair for Tack and Habit. So we have a full show planned for you today and we're going to lead the way with Kat from Eat Your Tart Out. And one of my all-time favorite guests is back with us. We have Kat from Eat Your Tart Out and she's going to talk to us about some, I'm drooling so I might not be able to get the words out a little bit, um, about some really cool recipes. Um, well, Glenn gave me the vegetable ones. He's taking the <laughs> cupcake ones. That's right. So I get to talk about squash and cauliflower. <laughs> well, what we he thought... Gets to, he gets to talk about apple cider cupcakes, but I know if they come out of Cat's camp, they're both going to be absolutely delicious. So welcome, Cat, back to the Staple Scoop Show. Well, thank you for having me. You guys always make me feel so loved, so it's pretty awesome. But I know, like, Glenn hates cauliflower. I think this is what we discussed in a past episode, so I it's no surprise why he gave that to you. Yeah, I love that, that you keep correct. bringing it up, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I don't like squash. I pretty much don't like any of the ingredients in this particular recipe. You know, so. I picked this because you can't eat anything in the cupcake. So why are you like talking about the cupcake? I'm, dro- I'm having a sugar craving today, yeah, and it's not going away. So. <laughs> he is. Kat, before we do anything about food, we have a more important topic to discuss. Okay. Because Kat's getting married. Kat's getting married how many weeks away? We're like three weeks away. Um, I forget exactly how many days, but What's it's the like date? What's the date? 25. It's the 14th of December is our wedding. Ooh. And well, tell us about it, all about it. Come on. Come on. Um, well, we're keeping it very simple. I know it's kind of crazy, but we're keeping it pretty minimal. Um, we're not really decorating the church. We're keeping it just to witnesses, even though there's going to be like 75 witnesses. Um, <laughs> it keeps growing. It's funny how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does kind of creep up. <laughs> I know. But we're happy, like the more the merrier. Um, we're going to be doing a potluck um, dinner which is nice because when you think of the catering costs, it's ridiculous. Like, I, And me being a snobby foodie, it's really hard for me to say, oh, well, we can spend this on catering because I wouldn't be happy. So I just said, everybody bring whatever you want and it'll be great. Um, 
Yeah. So we're doing that. And then we're going to have a chocolate fountain. So we're going to have all sorts of fun things to dip and dunk. And oh, yeah. I'm dying. Come on, I can't imagine. How many kids think. are going to be there? Because um, you're going to have chocolate everywhere. Don't let them near yeah. your white dress. I know. I know. But luckily, my dress is cotton, so it's washable. So I'm not too concerned about that. So, so do you have it? Is yeah, your dress yeah. in? My address is in it. I was freaking out because it was on back order for the longest time. And I was like, oh, goodness gracious. It's a 50s swing style, like A-Lion dress. It's very pretty. It's going to have a nice like slip underneath it that's red because I wanted a red wedding dress. But Greg's family is true Southern Baptist. So if I walked in a red wedding dress, <laughs> not going there. <laughs> you would be thrown back out the door. <laughs> uh, um, so it's very condemned pretty. to hell cat is what you would be. <laughs> I, I really don't want that to happen. I'm trying to start this off on a positive note. So, you know, but we have to still have my taste in there. So it's happening. Um, but the dress came in yesterday, finally. And I just have to go get it tailored, which I'm doing later today. So other than that, it's all running along smoothly. <sighs> yeah. So don't you feel better now talking about it and understanding why I'm not stressed? Like everything's coming together. And Glenn, don't jinx me. I didn't, I didn't say a word. I think it's going to be great. Okay. You're going to be a beautiful bride. Yes, absolutely. And the, I've seen the pictures, the um, engagement photos that you posted on Facebook. Yes. Of you and Greg out in the field with the gray. Oh, my God. They're gorgeous. You're gorgeous. I can't even begin to imagine what the wedding photos are going to be like. You know, this is why I come back is just to have my confidence boosted. Like, <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> and, you know... Uh, you are unlike most food people that you see on the Food Network in that most of them are about 150 pounds overweight. And you don't have that problem at all. So I don't know how you do it. Because yeah, you're always I've... baking and cooking and doing these good things. You must really limit. Like if you made me, if you made these apple cider pan, cupcakes, I'd have to eat them all in one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, there's certain things. Most of the time. Like my cooking, I keep relatively low fat, low calorie, or I just eat less of it. So I'm limited that way and I do exercise, so that helps. But when it comes to baking, that's my weakness. I love sweets. And as much as I said, oh, I'm going gluten-free, it's been like totally thrown out the window as of late. (laughs) That's hard, Uh, isn't it? It's so difficult. There's a lot that I do like substitute, like my pastas and things like that. I do all gluten-free but I recently just took a class from King Arthur Flower on how to make wheat bread. So now all I've been doing is making bread. And I'm like, oh, man, this is horrible. <laughs> so there's certain things. But most of it I try and get out of the house as quickly as possible. I try and like dump it at friends' houses and things like that. So I make everybody else really happy and fat. So I don't have to be. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So let's see here. What do we have for recipes? Talk about... Apple cider cupcake. Let's go with the vegetable stuff first. Because okay. actually, I'm a fan of squash and cauliflower. Right. Um, and baby spinach. So this is, a, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. And it looks really good. And, yeah, and the reason rest- we picked these, cat right, was so that they would be something you could make fairly easily as a horse person at Thanksgiving. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The cupcakes are a little bit more intricate, but they're not bad by any means. It actually... If you want the most fantastic frosting recipe, that cupcake recipe is awesome. Like, And it's something you will take with you because a lot of people love using the canned stuff. But when you make it from scratch in this specific way, it's amazing. But not to get carried away on the cupcake train just yet. Um, we're going to be talking about a roasted cauliflower and delicata squash with baby spinach. Now, that's a mouthful, but it's four ingredients for the most part. It's delicata squash, which tastes a lot like butternut squash. But because uh, there's, I first was introduced to it in Massachusetts, and a lot of the specialty markets and things like that will have it. And it's an oblong squash that's usually orange, golden yellow, and it's got green stripes on it. Now, the reason why I like this so much for horse people is, is that you literally slice it down the middle and scoop out the seeds, and then you just slice it. And you can eat the skin with it. So it's not going to be something hard like acorn where you have to get a huge hammer and a mallet to try and open the stupid thing. And it's not like butternut where you have to cook it first and then peel it or it's just a pain to oh, peel. This mushy. is, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is really, it's an awesome squash. Um, it's in the family of kind of the spaghetti squash. So if you let it grow out bigger, you get kind of that stringiness. Um, but it's a great mild flavored squash. So anybody who's not a big fan, great, great squash for. 
Um, and so for the most part, you just you slice that up, you mix it with red onions and cauliflower, and then you just roast it at a high temperature with some olive oil and a little bit of seasoning. And it's that's it. And at the end, you throw in some spinach, and it'll wilt automatically just because of the heat of everything. So you get this really, really pretty side dish that's perfect for Thanksgiving. And let's say you're traveling over to somebody's house and you want to do this as a side dish. You can cook it in the oven so you get that nice caramelization, throw it in the crock pot, and then just take it with you over to someone's house. And it does stay pretty firm for a good long while. So it's a great not needing the oven space when you go over to somebody's house. Huh. What? Yeah. So would okay. you eat this, Alina? Would you eat yeah. this? Yeah. Yes, I would. Okay. I, I I probably would not do the um the onions that's on top. Yeah. Yeah, you could do that, this without the onions, I think. Without the red Absolutely. onion. Yeah. It just I liked it because it had that nice pop of color. Yeah, um, what else could you do that's colorful like that? Or how about some can you throw in like a little bit of red cabbage just for color? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. That's what I would do because I'm just not, I'm starting to eat onions slowly but surely, but red ones I can't do yet. So, yeah, maybe some red cabbage would be nice for color, but absolutely I would cook it and I'd probably not mess it up, which is, yeah, (laughs) it's it's one of those. That's why I like As horse people, we have to worry about that part. Yeah, Yeah, it's really hard to overcook this. It's just you got to be careful because when you have it at a high temperature, the browning is a little bit, um, you can get carried away pretty easily with that. But, as long as you just watch that element, otherwise it's really hard to overcook this um, because the vegetables are so substantial, which is great. Um, but yeah, I would say you could definitely, if you wanted to, you could throw in some carrots if you really wanted to go crazy for a, an orange pop of color. Um, yeah, but or you could caramelize the onions and throw them in after everything was done because if some people don't like the sharpness of onions at all, so if you caramelize them, then you get that nice sweetness, but you don't get the onion flavor as much. So. Yeah, that's a good idea too. Nice. All but right, cool. That, we'll post a link uh, to the, both of these recipes that we're talking about today in our show notes at stablescoop.com. And uh, we'll, we'll send you over to eatyourtartout.com where they're housed right now. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Heck All right. With the, heck so, with the vegetables. Let's get to the good stuff. I know. And now we're on to apple cider cupcakes, <laughs> which is just awesome. And I thought this would be fun to talk about today because... Everybody thinks pies for Thanksgiving. Now, I love pies, but I know there's some people that just aren't into pies or they get them every year and they want to try and shake up family traditions, which I don't recommend for some families. So I'm not telling you you need to make cupcakes for your Thanksgiving if your family's traditional, but if you want to go ahead and take that risk, you go right ahead. There's some kids, there's some, there's some kids that don't eat pies too. I mean, it right. just, yeah. Yeah, and these there are, are just, some kids that don't eat pies. What's yeah, wrong with them? I don't know what's wrong with them. I like I all pies, but. Your kids. Yeah. Yeah, see, I have two family members that won't eat sweets at all, and I'm like, where did you come from? Because it's <laughs> yeah. just, it's not normal. <laughs> um, but yeah, this recipe is uh, pretty straight um, forward. It's just a vanilla um, cake batter that instead of using a little bit of milk, you add in some cider. And then for the apple component, um, I just cubed up some apples, and you can use whatever kind you have available. Because I know a lot of times you go apple picking, and you pick up apples, and you're like, what do I do with the rest of them? You basically just saute them in a little butter and cinnamon, let them cool, then you add that to the batter, you mix it up, and you just frost your cupcake after they're cooled. So, I mean, it's a, it's a cake recipe, but you're doing it from scratch, which I like because you can control if you want to go organic or you want to use a certain type of flour, you can make them whole wheat and things like that. But they're amazingly delicious. Oh, my goodness. I can't get enough of them, and that's why. These are one of them that I will push out the door because I will I can't stop eating them. <laughs> they look terrific, and you, you, you do see. I'm one of those canned icing people because I never mastered icing. But I was looking at your cream trees frosting yeah. a recipe here, and uh, other than the the four cups of powdered sugar would kill me at this point. Um, the uh, it looks wonderful, and it looks easy to make. Well, the thing that I've learned, um, and this took me a while because you'll look at some of my earlier blog posts, and I did one for a totally gluten free, um, and I think it was a vegan. <laughs> chocolate and peanut butter cupcake and it's fantastic but the frosting is that very kind of chunky thick frosting and it's taken me a year to find the perfect way to do frosting and so when you're making it at home a lot of people will just mix it up until everything's incorporated and call it a day I found a trick that if you use your mixer if you have one or you just have your handheld one and you actually beat the frosting for like three to five minutes after everything's incorporated 
you get this amazingly light frosting that is just, it's phenomenal. It's so good. And everybody, I mean, any place I've brought these cupcakes to is like, or any of the cupcakes that use a similar frosting, can't believe that this is homemade because it just tastes so professionally done and so good, but it's nothing different. It's just the way that you make the frosting. And that is my super awesome secret to share with everybody. Interesting, because most things that you bake, you, you, they don't want you to overbeat it, period. That's, right. Overbeating is the biggest fault, right? Right. And that is very true when you're making something, especially when you have flour, because as gluten develops, um, you know, if you're doing traditional baking, when the gluten develops, you get something that's very tough. And with frosting, though, that's not the case. The longer It's not – you can overbeat it for sure, and it can turn into a hard rock of just basically straight butter, but – there's a nice fine line between, you know, you get the rock, you get nice and light and fluffy, and then you turn it into a rock again. So getting that light and fluffy frosting is very easy to do at home. Um, I'm getting hungry. Yeah, I know. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Every time she comes on, I get starving, and then I have to go find lunch, and it's never as good as what she shows us. (sighs) But see, if you live near me, you'd be a lot heavier because I would be pawning off all my treats on you. (laughs) Well, this is great. We will post links to both of these uh, recipes for your Thanksgiving week in, as I said, on our Stable Scoop page. And also, you can just find them by going to eatyourtartout.com or search for Eat Your Tart Out on Facebook as well. And tart is spelled with an E at the end. Well, congratulations, Early. Uh, We wish you the very best. Well, probably you're going to be on your honeymoon and out of town, so we probably won't talk to you again until January. Have a terrific uh, wedding, and boy, we're going to be looking for the pictures. Yeah, we are. Wishing you the best. All right. Thank you, guys. And happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. If you've ever had a horse with diarrhea, you know what a frustrating problem it can be. Finding an ingredient that works to dry up the diarrhea becomes a high priority. It turns out that researchers have found one, a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii. It has been proven to improve and halt episodes of diarrhea. It supplies specific nutrients to the lining of the small and large intestines, and these nutrients promote healing of irritated tissues. It also supports improved starch and sugar digestion in the small intestine, reducing the opportunity for imbalances to occur in the hindgut. Nalox Advanced, made by Kentucky Performance Products, contains Saccharomyces boulardii, along with a blend of fermentation solubles and stomach buffers. Nalox Advanced is recommended for horses of any age that are suffering from diarrhea. It also supports a healthy digestive tract in horses at risk for gastric or colonic ulcers, such as performance horses or any horse that is constantly on the go and exposed to stressful situations. For best results, Nalox Advanced should be fed on a daily basis. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, next up, we have a guest. I saw a press release for this, Helena, and I said, well, this is up right up our alley because we can learn something new. We, we haven't talked too much about Spanish horses and Andalusians and Lusitanos or, or any of that here on the show. I think once or twice we've had a guest. But uh, this lady we're going to have on, her name is Shelly uh, Bandanest. She is from Florida. She has a farm down here, and she is a dressage rider, classically trained dressage rider. But she went out to the International Andalusian and Lusitano Horse Association National Championship in Fort Worth, Texas, and kicked some serious butt with her horses. She has a couple of PRE horses out of Spain, so let's talk to her and find out how she did that. Well, hi, Shelly, and welcome to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Hey, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Nice to finally talk to you guys. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, too. I know you've been sick, and I, uh, it sounds like your voice is hanging in there, so we appreciate you being on today. I have first question I have, and I'm sure I've been pronouncing it wrong the whole day. How do you say your last name? It's Vandenesta. It's actually Flemish. Okay. Oh, I love that. Vandenesta. That's much prettier than like the way I was saying it. <laughs> you, I, that's awesome. You have to, do you say it with, like, the flair? I would. 
Well, you know, I go to horse shows and I have had every variation of the name pronounced. I bet. So I try to tell the announcer ahead of time, you know, how to say it. And my Spanish horses as well, you know, they always have these kind of weird names. So I always go up to the announcer ahead of time and say, okay, it's Icaro XXIV, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> I get them right. Okay, so when it has the Roman numerals like this, you do say you, you spell it out XXIV? Well, yeah, we do. Now, in the Spanish shows, they'll say 24, you okay. know, because they, they, you know, know the Roman numeris, numeral system. But the Spanish horses are actually named after their mother, and so there could be, you know, 24 or 52 of them, how many ever. Um, and that's why they had the Roman numerals after their names. I never knew that. Oh, yep. Interesting. And I wonder if kids are still being taught Roman numerals. Like, I know what they are, and Helena probably knows what they are, but I wonder if kids are still being taught that. Yeah, they get that. They do, do they? get that. Okay, yeah, Grace I was gets a little bit that. of that. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad they do. Well, let's. T- well, first of all, congratulations on an absolutely wonderful time uh, at the show. Yeah. Thank you so much. We had a great time and came home with seven national championships and three reserves and top fives in every class we went in. So we were my client. We had the two horse show string from Florida. So everybody else had you know ten, fifteen horses in their show string and. People were pretty amazed when they walked by our stalls and said, "Now, how many horses did all this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That is pretty impressive when you think about it, because a lot of those bigger farms they do come with ten horses, uh, you know, and and uh, you expect and them two, to and win. three trailers, yeah, and yeah, grooms <laughs> and twelve and, grooms, yeah, and and buckets yeah. of brushes. <laughs> Tell us about well, the. No, the, go ahead. The setups at the Spanish horse shows at the Iberian shows. The setups. Uh, you know, the stall fronts take probably a week to build some of them. It's so elaborate. It's just gorgeous. You think you're just in another time. Do they hire, so do they hire carpenters to come in and everything and build these yes. things? Yes. They'll be sawing and kneeling oh and screwing going on for days and days before the show just to build these stall fronts. It's really quite a spectacular show. We have to go to one of those sometime, Alina. It just sounds like fun to be walking around this barns. <laughs> it does. I, I'm. I would be kind of interested in the yeah, in the dramatic, not drama, but the dramatic. It's nice, you know. That's what you. Isn't that part of what um, attracts you to certain breed shows? Is that they have very distinct qualities that are dramatic and exciting and entertaining. Well, it puts the show back in the show. So you work really hard with your horses and you're always training and you're always kind of grubby and dirty and, you know, working horses and trying to keep them as clean and pretty as possible. And so here you are at the show and your clients really feel like, yeah, we've arrived. You know, we're somewhere (laughs) now. (laughs) That's cool. Well, tell us about these two horses that won all these uh, national championships. Well, the the Bay Stallion, he is, um, uh, they're both imported from Spain. I actually went and found one of them for a client. And the Bay Stallion, I did not find. I started training him three years ago. And he's actually owned and ridden uh, in some of the classes by a 71-year-old woman. She was the, probably the oldest one in the class, which is called Vintage Riders, one of the classes. And um, he's about 16, too. And he's a little fireball, but these horses... Unlike any other breed I've ever ridden, they really take care of their riders. They really like to be with their people. And uh, when you ride these horses, you, you understand why they used them in the wars. Like if I had to be in battle on a horse, it would be on one of these two horses because they absolutely do everything you ask of them. They never say no. And they're both and they're Andalusians, right? They're both Andalusians, right? Yep. Well, they're both P-R-E's. P-R-E stands for Pure Raza Espanol. Now, in Spain, if you go and say, I'm looking for an Andalusian, the Spaniards will kind of look down their nose at you because an Andalusian basically is a horse bred in Andalusia. Now, it can be a thoroughbred. It can be a quarter horse. It can be a uh, Spanish horse crossed with a warm blood, and they call that an Andalusian. Ah. But the P-R-E's, the pure Raza Espanol, is the pure Spanish horse. Well, people started importing these Spanish horses to the U.S., and they had to register them with something. So they registered them with the International Andalusian and Lusitano Horse Association. So they called them Andalusians, I think probably because they didn't know, but it stuck. So if you say you have an Andalusian in this country, uh, you have a horse of Iberian heritage somewhere. But if you have a PRE, it is a pure Spanish horse. 
so both these horses are PREs. Okay. So um, I, I didn't. I don't mean to correct you. It's just, no. I'm just. No, I didn't know that. I'm. Oh, it's good to learn. Yeah. I'm like eating it. Yeah, eating it, it up. Yep. Yeah, it's like you say. I have a warm blood, or I have, you know, a Hanoverian. Right. It's a warm blood can be any horse that's mixed between a cold blood and a hot blood. Correct. Right. right, right. So, but if you have a Hanoverian, all of a sudden puts you in a whole other class. Right. People are like, oh, you're a Hanoverian. Right. Exactly. But, but there is a difference. I mean, I've looked at when when I looked at the uh, the gray horse for my client, and uh, we looked at all kinds of horses here in this country that were domestically bred, and the quality and the overall conformation, the morphology of the pure Spanish horses is, you look at them and you say, oh yeah. That's the war horse. You know, that's Bucephalus. That's the one that I I see in the pictures. It, it, well, it's quite your comment about, you know, if you had to ride into battle, you would take either of those two horses. That's a that's a very the significance of that was not lost on us because um I mean that's really what this that's really what this breed or this type is about, and that's what classical dressage comes from. So Exactly. And when I explain to my students you know, why we climb up the training pyramid in our classical training of every day, I said, look, you know, it's the end goal for these, when when classical dressage was developed, was to ride a horse into battle and to be able to stay absolutely safe and the horse to carry through the battle, you know, whether it was standing in the spot and pee off or it was going out in an extended trot. It was to maneuver its, or, or, a working pirouette where you're wielding a sword. So it all comes down to battle maneuvers. So when you were going to choose a horse to take you into battle, you know, which one is it going to be? Oh, my God. Dressage just got cool. (laughs) Battle maneuvers. Yeah, listen to this. I rode on the Lipizzan tour for a while for 10 weeks. And these, I had to bring two new stallions out that had never been on the tour before. And, you know, Lipizzans are Spanish-bred horses, only they were imported to Lipizzan, right? Right. So the first, very first night of the first show, I'm going out of the curtain. I had the big velvet curtain, and they, you know, the announcer, the MC introduces the horses, and then they open the curtain, right? So I'm on this brand new stallion who's never been in the spotlight before, and the curtain opens, and I'm leading the eight riders out to be introduced. And this horse is kind of piaffing behind the curtain, like a little bit nervous, and they say, and, and the curtain opens, and this horse brings his shoulders up, arcs in his neck, and wa- marches out of the curtain like, this is what I was born to do. And I tell you what, that sent goosebumps up my spine because I was like, this horse knows. This horse knows that he is supposed to take me out into this crowd of 3,500 people cheering and screaming because the MC before the show says, make as much noise as possible. These horses love this. <laughs> and they do. They're like, you know, I love when they get all jazzed up from the crowd. Yeah. And so it, it brings, to, brings back to competitive dressage this element of, hey, bring it on. Yell for my horse because... I want him puffed up, you know. I want him carrying me into the battle, so to speak. But so, uh, yeah, that was a really neat experience. So when you're at, like, you, this show was the International Andalusian Lusitano Horse Association National Championship show, and it was in Fort Worth. So when you're at that, then, taking what you're saying, you you will have all, do you have all, really, types of horses? They're, they're not all PREs, obviously. There's there's the, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, the 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 current version of Andalusian here in the United States and Lusitano. So you'll really see all kinds of horses there. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think they're all, and you know, they are going back to the pure Spanish blood because you have to register them and pull tail hairs and they have to verify the lineage, but you do see almost like saddle bready type horses and more, some that look more like Arabians and I think it's just the preference of the breeder in this country whether they're going to breed this kind of upright, peacock-necked, saddle-ready type horse with a lot of front knee action or an Arabian horse, with, you know, type horse with a shorter back and a stockier build. So you're starting to see a trend that way. But the pure Spanish horse, like this Corridor 2 that I showed, he won the Spanish stallions. He is the real deal. You know, he came from Spain, and the Spanish judge recognized it, and the Spanish judge re- recognized it in the functionality test, which is p- the portion of the halter test that you have to show that the 
stallion is also a good riding horse, which I think is really important in these morphology classes. Hmm. So you're not just showing the horse in hand in front of a judge and saying, hey, look at my beautiful horse that's got beautiful muscles and is really well turned out. You have to then go back into the functionality test with all the stallions and you have to prove that he can do, it's basically a second-level-ish test. You have I was going to say, is it, is it, it's like a second-level dressage test then? Yeah, it's in a dressage okay. arena, and the Spanish judge sits at sea, and it's, yeah, it's about second-level-ish. Um, and, you know, all, all, they all have to do the same test. And it's quite a show, <laughs> because some of them aren't really good under saddle. <laughs> you know, they have <laughs> but, uh, but mine is a dressage horse, so of course, he was... You know, he was pretty good. <clears throat> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now... Do Although you... I think I was only one of two women riding in that class, because it is a male-dominated class. You know, the Spaniards oh. still ride their, their horses. You go to Spain, and you go to a FBI competition in Spain, and you might see one or two women, and they're really not the best. You know, they're hmm. just mm, kind of doing it. And they're not really well-looked upon you know it's more like oh yeah look at the girl on the horse (laughs) (laughs) wow interesting yeah it really was and the other thing when i went to spain not to get off the subject is i brought a helmet and nobody rides in helmets but it's a really good thing i brought a helmet because the first stallion that i rode for this client was a four-year-old and he ran away with me and i had to bail and i actually split my helmet in two and got a concussion Yeah, and everybody, it all went around Spain, too. Oh, yeah, that American woman here was looking at Spanish horses and fell off. <laughs> I didn't fall off, but the point was, like, you know, all the girls that, that we saw afterwards, you know, they were pretty convinced that need, they needed to wear a helmet. Yeah, boy, I mean, you, you wouldn't be here now if you hadn't been in that case. Yeah, we're grateful you were yeah. Anytime you split they're your helmet. Quite, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're quite electric. At, at, at The four-year-old stallions can be quite electric. Any stallion can be quite electric, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, are, are these the only horses that you work with now, or do you work with other breeds, too? No, I have uh, my Grand Prix horses, the Dutch Warmblood, and I have two Hanoverians in the barn, um, another Dutch horse. They're mostly Warmbloods. I only have the two Spanish horses, but they're my favorites, you know, to ride during the day because they're pretty easy, and you can... You know, take them out on the trail. You can, whatever you decide to do that day with them. They're like, okay, Shelly, let's let's do that today. <laughs> I was gonna did, go ahead, so, Jamie. Do they ahead. tend to have what's what's their athletic disposition like? Obviously, their their mental dispositions are pretty good. Are they? Do they ride light? Do they ride heavy? Very light in your hand. Yeah, very light in your hand, and very easy to collect. You know, the the collected movements are really easy. In our open dressage competitions here in this country, they're not going to compare, or they're not going to have the extended trot that can compare with a warm blood. I mean, that's just hands down how it is. Yeah. But the collected movements are so easy. And for these older women riders, these, you know, 50, 60, 70 year old riders, which most of my client base is right now, and I don't know how that happened, but they're a lovely group of women. We call them the golden girls. <laughs> um, they are, it's so, they're so easy to sit their trot and give their backs. So if you're teaching them an upper level movement or you want to work Piaf or you want to do, work a decent shoulder in, you know, right away, they're, it's very easy to do it because they can sit on their backs. It really is the horse of choice for somebody who, you know, has some back issues, but maybe still wants to, you know, has 10, 15 years left in them to ride. It's that perfect market. Huh. Very interesting. Well, yeah. you know, I, I are there a lot of them here in the United States, the PREs, or uh, they still sp- There small are. Okay. Yeah, there are. Um, I think, however, when they started importing them, some of the riders didn't adhere to the training scale, and they got a little bit backwards in their training somewhere. Um, for example, some of them lost their walk, you know, they jig, or some of them uh, lost their, you know, collected trot. They want a passage instead. So uh, somewhere along the way, you know, it got messed up. But the new generation of horses that are being imported and these trainers are sticking to the uh, pyramid of training that the USEF and the USBF and the FEI promotes, the horses are coming along really nicely. 
and just proves that classical training works. Very interesting. We uh, yeah. the, the 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 other day we had on our, our morning show we had a guest who is was classically trained dressage and is now working with gated horses and trying to get the gated community to to go the classical route and really learn to ride. And he he is booked out. I, I think I counted fifty clinics he's doing uh, or he did this year, dealing with mostly trail riders who are learning to ride better. And what they're learning from him is classical dressage, basically. Yep, it's a good idea. I judge frequently, and in our area we do have a couple gated horses, and um, they're Europeans that are riding the gated horses, and they really are lovely on the horse because they're classically trained. And um, a lot of people, there's a lot of clinics around here, you know, people doing that too. I think dressage is good for any discipline, you know, but people think that dressage is something different than it really is, you know, that the horse is going around with its head down. I've had that a million times, you know. Well, how do I get his head down? I'm like, well, there's so much more to dressage than getting his head down, which is not what we call it, but <laughs> you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, where can people find out more about your farm and what you do? Well, I, I actually have a website. Um, it's www.srfsporthorses for Sunrise Farms. I'm in Gainesville, Florida. You can just Google me. That's how many people find me. Just Google classical dressage trainers in Gainesville, Florida, and there I am. Well, and, and we uh, you're right up the street from us, actually. We're in Ocala, so you're not too far. It's. Oh, yeah. uh, it's srfsporthorses.com. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. Congratulations again uh, for being a national champion many, many times over. Well, thank you so much, and it was great to talk to you. And about the work. Before oh, you, we were happy to have you on. I was happy. Now I'm like, oh, I want to go and take dressage lessons. <laughs> <laughs> now, i got to tell you, before when you go back next year, you're going to be that girl, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I I know. We, my clients, they were walking around the horse show and they heard people going, that blonde girl from the East Coast with that bay horse. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be different next year. You're going to have a target next year. (laughs) Seriously, that's how we talk about each other. Blonde girl with the bay horse. horse. (laughs) I have to say they were very complimentary of the riding and, you know, the, the, the classical method, you know, the classical way I ride and, you know, everybody, it was very nice, you know, and very congratulatory. And so it, was, it made for a really nice time. Well, you know, there are times when you actually want to be that girl. So there you go. <laughs> thank you, Shelly. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. With Christmas season fast approaching, it's time to start planning a custom gift that will last for many years to come. Visit our friends at ezsignsonline.com and browse their unique website for their many custom sign options and styles. With affordable prices for customized signs starting at $39.95, your holiday gift-giving just got easier. Their step-by-step online sign ordering process allows you to choose only the sign options you want and see all the pricing up front. From horse farm entrance signs, vinyl banners, magnetic vehicle signs to stall nameplates, and much, much more for every horse owner. They ship to every state in the U.S., so take advantage of an additional 10% off coupon to all Horse Radio Network listeners. Simply mention HRN13 when ordering. That's HRN13. A $75 order minimums for discount. Cannot be combined with other discounts or coupons. Free shipping also applies to most sign orders, so see the website for details. Place your order early to allow plenty of time for Christmas delivery. Check out the website today at ezsignsonline.com. That's ezsignsonline.com or call them at 1-800-640-8180. That's 1-800-640-8180. So now that I'm all jacked up about taking dressage lessons, past weekend I was jacked up about taking, riding, like I wanted to get into the equitation ring and then, and I don't know what I want to do. You know this. Every time we have a guest on. I know. You change your <laughs> I mind. Do something different. But I am, I have a completely whole new perspective on hunter jumper riding, hunter seat equitation, and George Morris. Oh, did you go to a George Morris clinic? 
I went to my first George Morris clinic. I did not ride in it because, well, I'm not good enough. Um, <laughs> you want I, me to yell that? <laughs> I'd have to. Well, here's the interesting thing. George Morris has earned, in my opinion, every ounce of his legendary reputation. For I, I've never heard somebody say, yeah, George Morris, he's okay. It's either I hate George Morris or I right. love George Morris. <laughs> That's right. And here's what I discovered about and George Morris. And it depends Morris. on how much he got after you in the clinic you rode when. <laughs> here's, here's what I like about George Morris. The man knows his stuff. And he has a very, very warm, passionate, and genuine appreciation and respect for the horse. And... For the horse's caretaker. Sometimes that caretaker is the rider. And sometimes it's the groom. So the way he approaches teaching, he says we're going to do form before function. Because you cannot have proper function without proper form. And so a lot of what people think he, he teaches about form is arbitrary. And it's not. You know... I'm sure those of you listening out there who have been following George Morris for a gazillion years know that um, his main idea is stay out of your horse's way. You know, your your job is to don't take any crap from your horse and stay out of his way. You should have the greatest respect for, and he listed these in order. The horse comes first, your tack, and then yourself. And all three of those things should be attended to scrupulously. So that whole philosophy and the body of knowledge that he taught that goes along with those three things to me was very comforting. There's, like I said, there's just this genuine, positive, warm passion that he has for those things. He is, you know, he's a Yankee by birth. He grew up in Connecticut. So he's going to be a little, <laughs> I, don't even use, I don't even want to <laughs> use the word ornery. Gruff. It's not even gruff. He's, he's straightforward. Straightforward. He's okay. blunt. Yeah, blunt. So Good what word. I noticed, in, and there were some amazing riders. There were some amazing riders. There were three levels. Um, I don't know, two, six, you know, folks who could jump two, six, three foot, and then the three, 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 six, and up. Um, so what he did was he, he's not into giving praise or saying, you know, yep, you did that right. You did that right. If he doesn't give you any feedback at all, you're good. You did it right. He's like, you'll know it. You'll feel it when you've ridden an exercise correctly. You'll feel it in yourself and you'll feel it in your horse. It just goes. It's smooth. It flows. I don't need to tell you you've done a good job. I don't need to stroke your ego. If there's something that needs correcting, he either taught the rider how to correct it, got on the horse himself and corrected, corrected it, or had his assistant, Oakley, <laughs> get on the horse and work with it. Um, the man rode, I don't know, I was there for one day for eight, nine hours and he got on, I'd say four horses himself. He's 76 years old. Oh my God. He rode these horses like nobody's business, like nobody's business. Elegant, subtle, talk about understated, um, and effective. Never lost his patience with the horse, never lost he, lo he definitely loses his patience with people. But here's where, where I think he, he gets his bad reputation from. And I, I don't think he necessarily deserves it. Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm on the fence about it. He has absolutely no tolerance for laziness or ego. And laziness could be in the form of, you know, a lot of people have heard him say, go on a diet, lose weight. You know, he, the man does not condone, you know, eating disorders or excessive thinness. But I heard him say, if you can't get out of your horse's way, if you are not athletically conditioned or fit enough to stay out of your way and stay with your horse's motion, then you need to lose weight. You need to exercise or you need to diet. And he made the distinction between both of those things with different riders in this clinic. Huh. And I'll tell you that the people whose horses who he said, get out of the saddle, get me up on your horse. They had egos. Now, when you're at a George Morris clinic, even those with egos, they, they're veiled. But the people who really had egos, it was thinly veiled. And if you're, you pay close attention, you can see who those people are. 
I mean, you really kind of have to have an educated eye. You have to be a, a kind of a good judge of people to see those egos under the surface. And they were there. I, I, I counted like four or five egos that were working hard not to come out above the surface. And that man picked out every single one of them. So, and, and you know, when I say he picked it out, he would say, wake up, you're being lazy. Or do yourself a favor, help yourself by thinking first. You know, so does he, you know, does he come across a little bit harsh? Yeah. And this was one clinic. I mean, I could probably go to 10 more George Morris clinics and have something different to report with each one. But what I observed in this particular clinic was that the overriding feeling that this man has for who he's teaching, the horses and the sport is nothing short of absolute pure love. It is, it is in every fiber of his being and he loves to teach. He, he loves to do this. And, and, it's, I, think and I think that the, the, this, the discerning factor there is it's effective. Whether uh, or not it's harsh, it's effective. Yeah. Yeah. And there is some, you know, there were some specific things that he was teaching, um, you know, European riding versus the American style of riding and how the American style is kind of getting lost. Um, and a little bit of the history about how the Americans influenced the Europeans, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s and how now we tend to be followers. Um, you know, the difference between a following seat and a driving seat which tends to be more popular in European writing these days. So that was a, a very interesting technical discussion that he had. Um, I, I have like five pages of notes <laughs> with a lot of quotes. Has <laughs> Brody been jumping, uh, uh, jumping logs ever since you got home? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brody. That's it. No laziness so, here. We're getting to work. <laughs> I would highly recommend that if, you, if George Morris is within a five-hour drive... <laughs> of your home base, find a clinic and audit. You don't even need to ride in it. You will learn so much just from watching him. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, and he signed my first edition copy of Hunter Seat Equitation. He did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't usually do that stuff, does he, at clinics? Sign stuff? <gasps> um, I'm not telling my secret. <laughs> Telling my secret, but I had dug it up, and um, a good friend who actually works with him had said um, she knew that I had a, an edition, and she said, "You know, go dig up his book." And I said, "Holy crap! I know I have a first edition Hunter Seat Equitation," and I did. It was obviously with all of my horse books, which are never more than five feet from me at any given time. But I opened up the front cover and realized or remembered that Grace had autographed this in purple crayon first. <laughs> So, of course, he opens the book and there's this big scribble of <laughs> purple crayon and the horse that there's a there's a, a line drawing of a horse right in the center page. And she colored it in in purple. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, but, you know, my daughter autographed it first. And he said, does she ride? I said, yeah. And he just went ahead and signed it. <laughs> That's all he did. That's and, funny. And, and he signed it with, you know, to me with uh, with um, great enthusiasm. Well, terrific. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Well, I'm glad. Well, you you've had quite a week. I know. Since we talked <laughs> since we talked last. Well, we're going to get on to our next part of the show because we have another guest coming up, and this will be in our attack and habit segment. This Tack and Habit segment is sponsored by Sparkle and Boom. Sparkle and Boom is a new media marketing company. Our mission is to help small businesses add some sparkle to their marketing in order to get some boom in their bottom line. Our creativity, combined with an extensive background in the equestrian industry, makes us perfectly suited to help your business capture the potential of social media and the ever-changing World Wide Web. Visit us online at www.sparkleandboom.com.
We welcome today Lisa Bandy, and she's the owner and founder of Easy Bonds. And I happen to think she's a brilliant woman because she brought this brilliant little tchotchke accessory <laughs> to the equestrian marketplace. I'm a big fan, so welcome, Lisa. Welcome, Lisa, to the Tack and Habits segment of Stable Scoop. I have to say that I am a convert in Easy Buns. I thought it was a gimmick. I thought it was a gadget, and then my my daughter bought one at Equine Affair last weekend, and I am now singing your praises. Thank you, thank you so much. Tell us about Easy Buns. What is it, and how on earth did you come up with the idea to create such a nifty little tool? Well, the Easy Buns are a great way to get the hair up and out of the way. We swim with them. My daughter, she is five, and she can do her own hair with it. She sleeps with it, so her hair is not crazy in the morning. It'll curl your hair. Um, I wear dancing, horse riding. They don't come down. They don't damage your hair like a rubber band, and it just stays wet all day. Until you physically unwind it, it can't come down. Um, I came up with the idea. It's kind of like a reinvention from these long ones that are more like headbands, and you have to fold it in half and twist it, and you have all this extra fabric left over, and I just thought, no. It needs to be shorter with a hole. You flap it down once you're done, done, and it's safe. And if the girls need to hide it, they can feed their hair around it like a military ballerina sock bun, but it's so much easier to do than a sock bun because you don't use rubber bands, no pins, you don't even need hairspray. And you can do your hair when it's wet. Well, this is the interesting thing is because, like, my daughter has very slippery hair. I wouldn't say it's fine, but it's straight, and it's very silky. So... And it's and we just cut it to chin length. It was much longer. And she was a little concerned that she wouldn't be able to wear it up. And then suddenly, you know, she, I'm like, what? How? Did, what? She comes walking around the corner and I said, how is it that you have your hair in a bun? And she yep, yep. and, and all, with all kinds of attitude, like she was the coolest thing in the world. She un, undoes the bun, shows me the easy bun. And then proceeds to put it back in her hair in, uh, it took her less than 20 seconds. Yep. And totally awesome. We love them. We love them so much. Even our family, always wearing them, even when I'm not working. So, hey, would this, would this fit under a helmet, guys? Yeah, it will. It's, well, we do the riding style. I actually do demonstrations of the riding style all day at all my horse shows. We sell at because everybody needs that low bun for riding under their hat or helmet. They don't want pins. If they need a hairnet for the look, they can put a hairnet over it just for the look of it, but a hairnet's not even needed. It's true. It keeps the hair in nice and nice and tidy. And it's made of, it's got soft, um, there's fabric covering, and then it's got a little bit of structure because it does have some wire in it, right? Yes, it's a stainless alloy wire we use so it bends, but it doesn't rust. We have lifetime warranty on the sewing, the fabric, and the wire. The fabric, we use synthetic velvet, so water doesn't hurt it at all. So they're virtually waterproof. Like, we swim all summer in them and get out of the pool, rinse it off in the shower with some water, and it's ready to go. If they need to clean it, shampoo. Perfect. It, it holds up so well. I can't get over the fact that you guarantee this thing for a lifetime. That's fabulous because so many people. Yeah. And are you? Where do you make these? Are these made here in the United States? Yeah, we do them out of California, and we started doing them back when I was in high school when I was seventeen back in nineteen ninety five. So I guess eight and a half years this year we've been doing them for. And I say weeks; it's a family thing now. My husband married into it, and he helps me with it just as much as I do. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. Wait a minute, that makes him the bun guy. <laughs> Um, so. The bun yeah. husband. <laughs> but he has short hair. He draws the line. He does not grow his hair long, but he will come help and He's do demos for the girl. I'm tired of hair. Well, Glenn married into the horse thing, so he calls himself a horse husband. So we're going to call your husband the bun husband. <laughs> the bun, well, yeah, that's not a bad uh, title either, you know, when you think about it. The bun, oh, will you yeah, I'll, let, I'll let him know. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a boatload of colors, too. I mean. Yes. Yeah. Um, on our website, ezbun.com. It's got all the colors. We are always adding new colors for this, you know, everything that's popular now. And cheetah and zebra are super popular animal prints. And then on my website also, there's video of me showing how to do everything. So they can click on the style and watch me doing my hair very slowly in the backyard. The wind's blowing. I got to tell you, I didn't think there were this many types of buns. Um, There's a lot of buns, apparently. Different. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, all different styles. Yeah, single no. bun, pony bun. The pony bun. The girls did the pony bun at Equine Affair, and that was uh, 
it was pretty. It was it was a really yeah. It was adorable, but it was pretty. The French twist, the ballerina bun, the long hair bun, and yeah. And so you can. It's so easy to position anywhere on your head that it is because you know me, Glenn. I'm like the princess and the pea. My hair has to sit perfectly at the base of my skull in order for it to fit. Um, you know, with my helmet and all that stuff. And yeah, and it'll just, do it. It'll make it super low. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, and keep it nice and tidy. And the best part, so not only do you, okay, so you got this really cool product. It's easy to put in. It's, you can, doesn't matter how old you are because even the young ones, the young kids were doing it because we were, you were set up. I've done them as young. In the pony club. I've put them on kids as young as, as one and a half years old. Like if they have three inches of hair and they're one years old and they've got three inches of hair, it will roll up. It's bunnable. That's what we call them. They're bunnable. Bunnable. They have three inches of hair. Yes. Even the older ladies too, you know, that have real short curly hair that keeps it real short. It'll get it up off their neck when it's hot out in the summertime and they're just out gardening or whatever they're doing, cleaning the stalls and they need their hair back. That'll get it off off their necks for them. Well, I do have a question. Is this, uh, is this stocking stuffer priced? Yes, it is. Okay. So what, what are the prices of them? On our website, we have them for $10, two for 18, Four for thirty-two. They end up going down to seven dollars each. Free shipping. Shipping is four fifty normally for the whole order. Free shipping when they buy ten or more. Well, so you're going to want to buy a couple of them because of the shipping. colors. That's yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We do a lot with black front of the helmet, obviously, to match their helmet. Hair color is the next most popular, just to match all their hair. Highlight colors or low light colors, whatever they've got, and then blue jean, like for denim. I sell a lot of navy right now because the dark, trendy denim especially the skinny jeans that's what sells is that dark navy mm. and um and then we got fun colors for kids like pinks purple aqua aqua and zebra are great for the kids that are like between 9 and 13 the free teens yeah. did you buy she the zebra she did she's a yeah. look like her yeah, mother popular <laughs> i was gonna guess that i like the leopard one yeah. too i always like leopard so and the peach yeah, the wild i call those the wild side you know they yeah. mix that with aqua or a hot pink or something you know <laughs> they really like that well you know this is going to cost me money now helena because i know a certain wife that could definitely use these when i saw her tying her hair up in a bun the other day Uh, (laughs) so to try and get it under the helmet and stuff and we live in florida so this is perfect uh that's awesome yeah so you know i was just thinking what i could do for for a deal for all my horse friends out there from all the horse shows is if they put in when they order put in i've never done this but i just thought this just came to me if we put in a code word Riding bun. I'll give an extra 10% off on the website. Riding bun. Oh, so riding bun. They just need to put it in their order. Just write riding bun is our code or whatever, and we'll know what they mean, and we'll give an extra 10% off on the whole. And they can order. put that right in the, uh, the, the buns and quantity section right there? Yeah, yeah. It's, we kind of have it old school where my, my mom does all the emails for me, so it'll be like an email form that's sent. Okay. They can do that, or they can call me. The 800 number I answer all the time, and that is one eight seven seven four e z buns b u n s. And if they call me and they tell me, "Hey, I got the code writing bun," I will do it that way too. Perfect. Wow. That's awesome. Simple extra discount for Christmas time, you know, because those stocking stuffers can add up after a while when you have to get gifts for the whole family. So, yeah. This good one, great. Helena. This was a good find over I at Equine know, Affair. I know. How cool am I? <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about all the gifts that I can get with this, and, and uh, I'll be done sooner this year than the day before. This, Glenn, is one surefire way to make a lot of women happy without getting in trouble with your wife. <laughs> oh, I hate to do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And the website address again, Lisa, is? Easybun.com. It's spelled letter E, letter V. Bun, B-U-N dot com. And the 800 number is one eight seven seven four e z bun B-U-N-S. Excellent. Excellent. All right. And we will post a link on the Stable Scoop show notes. Look for Tack and Habit. And in Tack and Habit, you will find the link to easybun.com. Thank you very much, Lisa, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. All right. Enough bun talk for one day. Did you just say that? Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, let's uh, call it a day. We've uh, had a full show here today and appreciate everybody that was on. We also want to thank all of our sponsors for being part of the show here as well. 
We have a very special episode for you next week. Is the fifth annual Equestrian Collections Holiday Gift Guying Buy or Gift Buying Guide? Gift Guying Buy. Yeah, <laughs> that will come out before Thanksgiving next week. So take a listen for that. It's always very popular every year. We had fun doing it. It's already recorded and ready to go. That uh, the Debbie from Equestrian Collections picked her top gift ideas for the holiday season, and Helene and I picked ours too. So take a listen to that next week. So uh, we hope you enjoy that. Have a terrific Thanksgiving holiday, everybody. Hope you enjoy your friends and your family and your horses and your pets. And uh, and uh, eat some turkey, too. Eat some and, turkey. and cranberry and, sauce. And cranberry sauce. Do you, do you go the, the uh, canned uh, smooth kind or do you go the chunky kind? Oh, no, 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 no. I, make, I have my own cranberry relish recipe that I make. With okay. cranberries, fresh cranberries, and an orange, a little orange juice and some sugar in the food processor. Well, you're up there from cranberry country, too. Massachusetts is the second largest producer of cranberries. So It is? What's the first? I knew you were going to ask that. I only know that. I only know <laughs> that Massachusetts. Like that I only knew, know that Massachusetts was second because when we lived at Plymouth, we went to the cranberry festival, and that's, oh, that's how I know right. that. That's yeah, right. Yeah, so that's the only reason I know. Okay. Well, if you're out there listening and you know what the the highest producing cranberry state is in America, let us know. Send us. It was some email. weird state. It wasn't. I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah. But no, we're canned cranberry people. I don't like the chunky kind. I like the cr- the canned smooth, and I think it's kind of a fun. You know, it's like eating Cheetos. Well, you know what's funny too <laughs> is we eat, it, we eat it all year long. People, I think we're the only ones in America that probably. Do that. No, no, I used to also. I used yeah? to have, we used to stock it up. Yeah. Well, you it's know, good. now that I'm on my diet, I'm not allowed to have sugar. So yeah. anything that tastes remotely sweet tastes good to me, and yeah. canned cranberries is sweet. So I kind of get a sweet fix on on canned cranberries. Well, is it made with sugar? I don't it's know. I'm not sugar. asking. It's a it's a fruit. Oh, you're fresh. I'm allowed to have fruit. So there. Mashed up fruit. Don't forget to get our app. Go to the iOS or Android store on your phone or your iPad or your iPod or whatever and just search for Horse Radio Network. Uh, thousands of people are downloading the app. You want to get yours too. Easiest way to listen to Helena and I every single week and all the other shows too. And for details about today's show, go to www.stablescoop.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about today's guests. And you know what? We love your feedback, so please follow us on Facebook under Stable Scoop and uh, post some comments and stuff. Get the conversation going. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for this week, Helena. That is plenty. And yeah, there was a lot this week. But you know what? We will have more next week. Until then, happy scooping. Happy scooping.